Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. So as you probably heard from last week, we're preparing the uh, next series right now and that will be released soon. But in the meantime, um, I had a couple of options really. One was to take a break and really just put my feet up, I suppose, uh, or at least plow into the preparation, f- you know, uh, full time for the next series. And as tempting as that was, I actually thought I'd do something a little bit different instead and really keep momentum going. So um, you've probably picked up from me by now that I do like different, not necessarily outrageous, just a little different. So uh, what I plan to do over the next few weeks is just share a few of what I call my personal musings. Now, these are, these are topics that have grabbed my attention and have uh, occupied my mind uh, a little bit. And I, I guess it's, it's going to be a mini-series of musings that we'll be sharing over the next few episodes as we prepare ourselves fully for Series 2. So sit back, relax, and join me, just me this week, as I share the first of these musings today. And I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts and indeed your reactions to these as we go through. So um, without further ado, let's get cracking with Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So do you know how sometimes... A certain subject seems to be cropping up all over the place. Yeah, I guess it's a bit like uh, choosing to buy a car and you've, you've perhaps singled out one or two on a short list and then you see them everywhere. <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? Or, or buses that uh, seem to be delayed and then two or three turn up at the same time. It's uh, these sorts of topics is, is kind of what I'm referring to today. And I, I guess you might call it trending in modern day parlance anyway. And so, Today's topic has probably been trending in fairness for, for quite some time, really. And uh, there's been a few events of late which have stimulated me to talk about it on this week's show in the first of what I'm going to call the Property Voice Musings. So as well as this topic being discussed on at least two other property podcasts that I listen to, I can shout out the Property Podcast with the two Robs and the Property Investor Podcast with Anna Harper and Damien Fogg as, uh, as cases in point. Um, but I also then came across a forum post over at the Property Hub. Yes, that's another incarnation from Rob and Rob. So you guys, you uh, you definitely owe me for these shout outs in the show this week. That was all I can say. But going to that forum post, there was a poster by the name of Noel, and, and he had a bit of a decision that he, he wanted to make. In fact, he had a dilemma, really, because um, it was whether or not he, he thought it was, or in fact, if we thought, as uh, contributors to his uh, post, it was worthwhile converting his uh, his existing home into a rental property. And in doing so, he was planning to remortgage and release funds to invest in, a, in an alternative rental property as well. Uh, but his main concern was really doing the numbers, which is a good thing, and he's looking at uh, primarily the after-tax ROI, or the after-tax return on investment, on the former home. 
So let's just share some of the uh, some of the situation that Noel Noel outlined as a bit of context, if you like, because I'm I'm sure not all of you would have seen this post. So just a bit of an outline, if you like. So Noel said his home was currently worth 165,000 pounds, and that after the the remortgage, he would have a loan outstanding of 92,000 pounds, obviously secured on the property. And on uh, in out of that transaction, he would be able to release uh, cash for further reinvestment to the tune of thirty-one thousand pounds. In addition, the the rent was uh, six hundred and fifty pounds per month, which puts the gross yield uh, modestly at around about four point seven percent. And uh, the ROI or return on investment that Noel had calculated in his uh, personal case was seven point three four percent after year two, because year one had some extra costs, but after year two is 7.34% gross and uh, falling to 4.4% after tax. And it should be noted that Noel says he is a higher rate taxpayer. So, so that was his situation. And his big questions were, what sort of ROI do property investors seek? And indeed, was this deal worth it? Given the lower single digit return figures that he'd obviously outlined and calculated for himself. So I guess you know in response let's let's start by looking at his uh, his ROI question and um, I'm using his case as, a, as an object lesson if you like uh, about this whole topic of uh, your home as an asset your home as an investment and indeed as by doing so I want to outline some of the tax position that comes into play which makes it perhaps a different scenario to that of you know uh, standard buy to let properties. So, so that's that's what we're we're looking at right now. So, ROI is um, his first question is a, a very personal criteria, and uh, some people would be happy to merely beat the bank, as as we call it, and uh, maybe they'd look for something like a three percent or even a five percent return, um, you know, which would beat beat bank return certainly in today's low interest rate environment. However, some other investors would probably look at a higher sort of risk-reward ratio. Uh, consider, for example, a property developer who would probably be looking for 20%, 30%, or possibly even more with a project because of the risks that it carries. So they need to price in some of the uh, some of the risk, if you like, into their overall return in case there's a, a deal that doesn't go so well. So the first thing really to do is just to decide what the right return on investment level is for us personally. And for me personally, it does vary depending on the project. Mentioned development projects there, and there's buy-to-let projects, there's there's flip projects, there's different projects we can get involved in. Uh, there's higher maintenance projects, uh, higher management and maintenance projects like HMOs, for example, where we want a better return as well because we may have higher hands-on management going on. So what I'm trying to say is it does vary by project, but certainly for a long-term buy-and-hold uh, project, it would need to be double-digit for me. Uh, that's that's my criteria at least. However, it's not necessarily as simple as that uh, in all situations. And indeed, in this situation, there's a number of different characteristics which would, if it were me, would change my opinion. Um, indeed, and I might be inclined to accept a lower return for reasons I shall outline throughout the course of this uh, musings episode. So, 
you know, look at, let's just take a ROI though. Let's explore that a little bit more. Uh, an ROI, return on investment, usually looks at the income return based on the actual cash invested. I've uh, covered this off in series one, definitions of uh, some of the metrics that I use in property investing in ROI is usually an income uh, return on, uh, on capital invested. But we shouldn't, we should also lose sight of the fact that you know, to take account of the total return on investment with property investing, we really ought to have some, you know, recognition of capital appreciation. So total ROI will inc include all returns, the income and capital returns based on our cash invested. Of course, the tricky part with measuring capital appreciation is that it's a fluctuating figure, obviously, depending on house prices. And it can be, you know, it's just, it's a paper number until it's realized. So until we actually sell that property, it can go up, it can go down. Um, but, you know, it's good just to keep an eye on that and, and, and factor it into the equation. So it's, it's more keep an eye on rather than, you know, 100% um, factor it in. But it could mean, for example, in Noel's case, that he might be able to lift his 7%, 7.34% return by factoring in uh, an element of, uh, of, of reasonable capital growth assumption. Uh, depending on his timelines. Now, he Noel also mentions taxation, and uh, usually uh, when looking at uh, a deal, I, I just tend to look at the pre-tax position, uh, personally speaking, when I'm evaluating a deal. However, if we are prepared to do some digging and to fully understand the tax implications, it can indeed change one deal uh, from another one by changing the context, if you like, in the tax regime that we're looking at. One word of caution here, though, I have to say, is that uh, be care, beware rather of the procrastination trap of uh, just losing ourselves too deeply into taxation. And trust me, we really can lose ourselves in this whole issue of taxation. And that's part of the reason why often I don't look into it too deeply. Uh, I have a general principle, if we're paying tax, we're making money. So uh, that's a good thing. Uh, obviously, if we're losing money, that's a bigger problem. Um, you know, so uh, that's just kind of my rule of thumb anyway. But um, yes, it is worth understanding the tax position at times. But don't get uh, into what I would call the uh, equivalent of a dog chasing its tail. Because uh, that, you know, won't, won't help us really. Because we'll never do anything. Just keep digging and, and hunting out information. But what I wanted to do really was just outline, if you like, quickly um, some of the, 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 the general tax positions of different types of property, uh, let's call it property investment, because not all of them are strictly property investment, let, let's call it that, um, for a personal investor. Uh, I do differentiate that. And I'm not going to be looking at everything. For example, I'm not going to consider inheritance tax in, in the for the purposes of this discussion. So I'm going to be focusing primarily on income tax and capital gains tax. Let's just say that for the purpose of this discussion, at least. So I guess we should start where Noel is now. And that's, you know, he has his own home. So anyone who owns their own home, I mean, um, obviously we've got mortgages, but let's ignore that. Uh, anyone who has the, their own home, um, any any returns they make from selling at a profit would be free of capital gains tax and uh, there'll be no income tax because uh, there'll be no renting that's taking place because clearly we're living in the property. Now we'll come on to in a minute a, a, a twist where we can rent out that property at least in part and still live there but you know for now let's just keep it simple. So the, in, in other words there's no income tax and there's no capital gains tax to make on um, on, on the growth we achieve through owning a home. But, you know, there, there are uh, other situations that come into play, uh, one of which, of course, is that 
you know, relying on capital appreciation for uh, making a profit or a gain with their own home is, of course, speculation. It's speculative. And there's no guarantee that that will be realized. Um, you know, if we're selling ho homes in 2009, we would get a, a lot less for our money than uh, for our property rather than in 2007 and indeed 2015. Maybe we're back to around about 2007 prices now in some parts of the country. But, um, you know, you get the picture that basically it's a speculative exercise and it does depend on, on the timing. But I did want to touch on this idea of uh, rental uh, with our own home because um, the HMRC have been quite generous, in fact, and so we're talking about taxation here, and they've come up with something called Rent-A-Room Scheme. And for want of a better description, that's an, uh, an incentive to encourage people to take in a lodger. So we would still have a home, we'd still live at home, but we'd rent out a room or a maximum two rooms because uh, it changes the nature of the agreement if it gets beyond that, to a lodger. And HMRC has basically said we can earn up to £4,250 per year uh, from uh, uh, taking in a lodger before we pay any tax. So that's another tax benefit that we can keep it, uh, sorry, keep in mind. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that can start to turn uh, the, the home into an investment by taking in a rental income, uh, income stream during the, the time that we're living there rather than just waiting for something to be realized at the end. It's a bit of a twist. But when we talk about investment property, generally speaking, we're not, we're not usually talking about our own home. Uh, we will talk about assets in a minute, but let's just keep it simple, investment properties. And uh, the most common one, most common investment property is buy-to-let, of course. So that's long-term buy-to-let. So we buy a property with a specific purpose. We won't live there and we'll let it, let it out to tenants instead. And very simply, the tax position there is that we will pay income tax at our highest rate on the net rental profits. And then we would pay capital gains tax on any gains if we were to subsequently sell that property at a profit. And I'll come on to some of the, the rules and allowances and this sort of thing with capital gains tax further on in discussion. But very simply, we basically pay income tax and capital gains tax. As a variation, if you like, of a property investment is property trading. So instead of buying and holding property, uh, in this situation, we're specifically buying that property with the clear view that we're going to sell that property on ideally at a profit. And of course, this buying and selling of the property becomes the business rather than the rental income being the business of buy to let. So this changes actually the way uh, tax is treated and uh, what it means in fact is that the profits on sale are then subject to income tax in this particular scenario, not capital gains tax as would be the case if we sold a buy-to-let property at a profit. So there's a distinction there and we're starting to get a picture of how we can maybe use the different tax rules to our advantage depending on our tax position. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself there. But um, as a higher rate taxpayer, just as a point of note here with this property trading um, example, as a higher rate taxpayer, this would make uh, trading property less attractive um, because of the, you know, paying income tax than if they were, if we were rather selling uh, buy-to-let properties at a profit because we pay a lower rate of capital gains tax than we would income tax. But it does rather explain why a lot of property traders, so people who do this on a regular basis, they do so through company structures. But that's a different topic. I'm not going to go into it too deeply. I just wanted to highlight it at some point here.
Now, the, this, the difference, if you like, the unique position that Noel is in right now is he has this, this hybrid, doesn't he? Because he's got his own home, uh, which he's considering renting out as a, as a buy-to-let rental property. And so it's this unique position that we, we can't recreate very often because clearly we can't live in more than one home at once. And indeed, the HMRC would start asking a lot of questions if we were, were hopping from home to home every, uh, every couple of months, that's for sure. So <clears throat> we, we can't be looking to do this uh, quite, uh, quite regularly. But the, the situation from a tax point of view gets very interesting in fact. Now I'm going to try and keep it simple but um, we as uh, as I mentioned when we own our own home there's no capital gains tax to pay and the reason for that is that uh, it's classed as our P, uh, primary residence and our primary residence we do not pay capital gains tax and equally if we have our own home and then subsequently rent it out we still have a uh, private resident release relief rather on the uh, gains that we make whilst we owned and lived in the property as our main home. So that's the tax relief, you know, just the same as if we own uh, our property. However, because we then rent the property out, we get an extra 18 months of ownership thrown into the into the mix, if you like. So this is a plus. We, uh, so it's not just the time that we live in the property that becomes tax-free, it's also the last 18 months of ownership. So just a simple example, if we owned it for five years, but we, we live there as our own home for three and then rented it out, actually four and a half years would be uh, capital gains tax free under that criteria with only the last six months gain being attributable to tax. But it doesn't end there. In fact, it gets better because there's, uh, there's something called lettings relief specifically for people who let out what used to be their own home. So lettings relief applies to a relief for the capital gains tax that we we would be liable to pay on the time where it wasn't our own home anymore. Indeed, it was the time that it's rented out. And um, a bit complicated how lettings relief is calculated because there's a a few scenarios. But very simply, it could be uh, as much as £40,000. Uh, uh, relief against uh, capital gains tax uh, under that particular um, offset um, opportunity that the uh, HMRC makes available to us. And it doesn't end there. It gets better still. We also have an annual capital gains tax exemption, which we can offset against uh, any any capital gains tax liability that we make on sale. So that's eleven, roughly eleven thousand pounds per person. So if one person owns a property, that's eleven thousand pounds. If two people own the property, it'd be twenty-two thousand pounds. So we can make a you know eleven or twenty-two thousand pound gain depending on the ownership structure. Again, without paying any tax on that. So. I think you're going to have to agree with me here when I say there's an awful lot of pluses in this quite unique situation, uh, which which starts to paint the picture that I'm really, really trying to pick, paint here, that actually, in many respects, our own home can be used to our advantage. Let's just use that language, because I'm going to come on to the whole issue of asset, whether our home is an asset later on. But certainly from a tax point of view, it's going to be very tax efficient if we convert our own home into a rental property at some point. Um, there we shall see. Now, um, any rental income that we would receive once we've converted that property, uh, in, you know, from our own home into a rental property, a buy-to-let, would be subject to income tax in just the same way as any uh, standard buy-to-let would. So, really, the uh, the difference here relates to capital gains tax. 
And um, I should also point out that capital gains tax uh, has, a, has a lower rate of taxation than income tax. So income tax basic rate is 20% and higher rate is 40%. There is a highest rate of 45% as I'm sure you're aware. But with capital gains tax, basic rate taxpayers would pay 18% capital gains tax and uh, higher rate taxpayers, so the equivalent of 40% income taxpayers, would pay 28%. So you can see clearly that there's an incentive to pay capital gains tax uh, because it's a lower rate of taxation. So um, I'm really starting to touch on this idea of uh, tax arbitrage, which I'm not going to explain now, but I just want to make the phrase uh, available in this stage in the in the podcast. Now, in, in Noel's particular situation, he's got a dis- distinct advantage, obviously, because this property used to be his own home, or rather still is his own home. So as, you know, if we just go and buy a rental property, rent it out, we don't get some of the benefits. And uh, same with trading property, we don't get some of the benefits. And if we, uh, of course, if we own, own our own home, we have to wait for any benefits, certainly for, for some period of time. So it's this whole unique position that it used to be our home, it's now rental property, and potentially we could sell that later on, that creates this uh, this tax, ad- tax efficient uh, opportunity, I'd say. So um, in Noel's case, he qualified for PPR relief the, uh, for the time that uh, he lived in the home. Then he would uh, receive this um, lettings relief that I've mentioned for the time where uh, any gains that were achieved where he rented the property out. And then he would get the annual exemptions on the uh, capital gains tax if he were to sell that uh, property later on at a profit. And of course, I've already highlighted that in his personal case, he'd end up paying 28% tax instead of 40% tax uh, because he's flipped from income tax to uh, capital gains tax in this scenario. So that's that's quite a quite a big uh, kicker in the first place. But as I mentioned, he's got this uh, lettings relief. Now the, there's a number of rules about how this is calculated. In fact, this whole issue of capital gains tax in this scenario it, it can be quite complicated. In in all fairness, so what I decided to do is rather than just outline in a lot of detail on a podcast where you're listening and maybe trying to think it through or trying to scribble notes or that sort of thing. I've decided to uh, make an extra bonus available. Uh, I've created a cheat sheet and a spreadsheet. So a couple of sheets there. Uh, the cheat sheet outlines, you know, what the criteria are and a couple of case studies. And the spreadsheet is like a calculator, so that you can plug in some numbers and and work out the uh, the tax the tax position, if you like, of this very unique position of converting your own home into a rental property. And uh, basically, I'd like to make that available to listeners of the show. And all you need to do is drop me an email, and you can do that right now. Uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Uh, with the uh, title Home Taxation Bonus Material and we'll be happy to send that to you. So that's a bit of a side there. But So there we go. So Noel would have the uh, PPR relief, the lettings relief and indeed the ta- capital gains uh, exemptions. And in fact, there's one other point I really should throw in as we're just being complete and that's that he can also offset the buying and selling costs and indeed capital improvement costs against the gain before any capital gains tax is uh, is calculated. Now what this means effectively is that let's say for a couple who jointly own their own home and then subsequently let it out, they can afford to make at least £62,000 worth of profit. 
and that's by com com uh, sorry combining the £40,000 worth of lettings relief with the £22,000 worth of annual capital gains tax exemption. So that's quite a sizable profit that people can can uh, can make without paying any any taxation I would suggest. So this idea of converting your own home into rental property has certainly got some legs as far as I'm concerned and we shouldn't overlook the fact that the last 18 months of ownership is also tax free. So this could mean um you know basically that the whole idea of uh, flipping a, a, our own home into rent, rental property is one of the most tax efficient uh, investments we, we could indeed ever make. But before we move off, off that topic, let's just consider that in Noel's particular case, if you remember, he, he was saying that he was also able to release some money for reinvestment. There's £31,000 that he could put down, presumably as a deposit, on another rental property. And I think in, if I'm right in understanding his, uh, his figures, his 7.3% uh, pre-tax return was before taking into consideration any returns that he would make on reinvesting that £31,000. So to be fair, to look at the whole situation, that, that return on investment on the £31,000 should also be brought into the equation. So there's something to consider that people often forget is they look at a fairly low return on a property that they've perhaps equity released for further investment uh, and don't maybe join the two properties together or don't look at the ROI on the on the bit that they've released to reinvest elsewhere. So worth considering in any what I would call go or no go dis uh, decision that's for sure. So I guess in summary my conclusion for Noel in terms of my response to him was that really he could afford to have quite a modest rate of return on what was his former home. Uh, indeed, it could simply wash its face really because of all these benefits, these tax benefits that would arise, uh, you know, so that he could maybe sell that property later and, uh, and not pay any tax on any potential gain. But equally, he'd be able to release funds to invest in ad additional properties and be able to combine the return on investment, if you like. So I think I actually use the, uh, the phrase, it seems like a, a tax efficient cash cow to me. And, um, and I think that's probably my conclusion that, you know, this fairly unique situation of converting your own home into a rental property, it is fairly unique, as I mentioned, but it is a, a very tax efficient um, cash cow. And let's just leave it at that for now. However, I do, do want to just pause for a minute and, and consider this idea of what I call tax arbitrage. And um, you might not be familiar with the term arbitrage, but um, essentially that's the what's the, defined as the simultaneous trading of assets to take advantage of different pricing in different markets. And, uh, and if you've ever read the book, um, The 4-Hour Workweek from Tim Ferriss, he, he highlights it very well in this particular book because he earns his money in, in the USA. So he earns US dollars in the USA, which obviously is a high economic, uh, you know, wealthy nation. But because he travels uh, quite extensively, his spending is in lower cost economies such as Asia and indeed South America. And he calls this concept in his book geo-arbitrage, so geographic arbitrage, um, that he spends money in lower cost environments to where he earns money. And I guess in a, in a roundabout way, uh, I'm implying something similar this tax arbitrage um, methodology of trading different tax rules and uh, environments, if you like, to arrive at a better overall after-tax result. 
and that's what I'm calling tax arbitrage. So it's the idea really of switching how an asset is classified and therefore how it's taxed to take advantage of different tax benefits and structures. Here we flip, for example, um, from, you know, the property trader wouldn't be able to claim capital gains tax. So using your own home as a buy to let and then subsequently selling it does allow that to happen. So here's how that tax arbitrage works out. So I really just wanted to touch on that point that it's all about, you know, maybe looking at individual assets on an individual basis. And uh, this unique position of our what was our former home actually is uh, is a specialized area and is worth considering. But before I, you know, really, you know, go too far into it, I, I want to pause as well and just look at the definition of an asset. And um, this this whole discussion about your home is an asset or it's a liability is is part of what's topical, um, you know, and it's what what's been referred to in some of the other podcasts that uh, I was I was referring to um, elsewhere. And a lot of this uh, controversy, if you like, comes from uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad, and um, you know, most property investors would have heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad if they haven't read it. And, um, you know, and in fact, I certainly read it and I shout it out all the time. It's, it's one of the books that changed my thinking to a large extent uh, in terms of uh, assets. But uh, in, in his book, he, uh, I think it's Rich Dad, defines an asset as something that puts money into your pocket each month. Whereas a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket each month. Now, I guess, you know, by, by Robert Kiyosaki's definition, your own home would never be classed as an asset using that definition. Because obviously we're not uh, putting money in our pocket each month. We'd have to wait until we sold that property at a future date and realize any capital gain. But of course, there's no guarantee of that happening and that speculation. And therefore, rich dad, poor dad would exclude that as being an asset. However, the, it's not the only definition of asset. The International Accounting Standards Board have got their definition of an asset and they uh, they would know a thing or two about it, I would imagine. And they define an asset as a resource controlled by the entity as a result of past events from which future economic benefits are expected to flow to the entity. Now, I guess in layman's terms, that would mean if you own your own home and you sell it later on for a profit, then they would class that as an asset. I know it's a business definition, but it's, it, you know, it's the same point. And so I think you can easily see, see there that a capital gain on sale, sale of your own property would uh, constitute it being called an asset. So this is where we get this conflict and this controversy arising. I've got my own um, you know, idea of what uh, an asset is, and I, I summarize this in my book, The Property Investor Toolkit, and I define it some, uh, very simply as something that we own of value. And I guess if you apply that definition to our own home, it's got value. You know, it's got to have an increase in value, obviously, for it to uh, to produce a return to us. But um, it's really a question of timing, I would suggest. Um, if we don't, if we time the sale of our own home correctly with the market cycles, we should end up with a profit. So there we go. So um, the I guess for me, I suppose part of where I'm going, the conclusion is that our home is quite possibly. Uh, is not only you know convert it when we convert it to rental property a unique situation, but it's quite possibly the most tax efficient property investment we could ever make. There's a bold statement. Uh, 
But it, it does actually require, as I mentioned, turning a home into a rental property and then taking advantage of certain tax reliefs such as PPR, uh, capital gains tax, lettings relief and so on. And there will be a, a crossover point in time where we've held it for so long as a rental property that, you know, ultimately some of those uh, those reliefs and those benefits are, are not quite so great and we will end up paying some tax eventually. But that's going to take quite some time, I think you can probably understand from that. So as I mentioned, I did a bit of number crunching to illustrate these various scenarios. And uh, I've got this cheat sheet and this spreadsheet. So pop us an email over. Um, you know, it's just, just reserved for you really as a listener to this show. Uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net uh, along with your name and the subject line taxation, own home taxation bonuses. And we'll add you to the list. I'm happy to do that. But maybe just to whet your appetite a little. Um, in Noel's particular case, I'd calculated that he could make something like £129,000 of capital gain. Bear in mind, his property is worth £165,000. Um, this, uh, this is a simple illustration. I've not looked at his purchase price. But he could make £129,000 of capital gain by the, converting it to a rental property, selling it in maybe three and a half years' time, and not pay any capital gains tax at all. And as Paul Daniels used to say, now that's magic. And I'd have to agree to be quite honest with you. So, you know, Noel could take that 129,000 tax-free lump sum, reinvest it into more properties, or indeed he could do the rinse and repeat methodology, put it into another property and, and again, let that property out later on, etc., etc. So we talked about the tax arbitrage of converting your own home into rental property and utilizing some of these uh, these uh, tax benefits, if you like. But I just kind of wanted to really highlight this point that our home can indeed be a very tax efficient asset indeed. So that's what I think. And so I'd really like to know what you think about this idea too. So why don't you get involved? Uh, the show notes are going to be over on the website. Uh, drop a comment in there or drop us a, a comment on Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you or even just an email for a one-to-one -one conversation. But as far as uh, this episode is concerned, this is the first in what I call my musings mini-series. So hope you've liked that. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a rant or ramble, I suppose. It could go either way. This one's probably a ramble, but I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope of, you know being able to add some value with some of the thoughts I've been having on this topic this week. And we'll have another one for you next week for sure. But the show notes, as I say, are on the website. Pop over there and have a look at that, along with further details how to take advantage of this uh, listener bonus. But for now, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.